Good morning. It's been a good morning for us, absolutely. So, here we are, chapter 9 of Romans. So, chapter 9 is the start of a, of a section of Romans which is interesting, difficult, controversial, and they say it should be included with chapters 10 and 11 in brackets, a parenthesis. Do you know what that is? A parenthesis is, that lady over there who taught uh, high school English, yeah, she knows. A parenthesis is something you put in brackets that, that helps to explain or an afterthought, added extra information. And if you took out what's in the brackets, it doesn't really change anything in the paragraph, in the, in the narrative, or in the story. And a lot of theologians... Because this this passage this part of Romans is tricky, say so, yeah you could put you could put in a parenthesis and it doesn't change anything else in Romans and in fact you could leave it out and it would make no difference to Romans. Well, I don't know if that's really true, but chapters nine, ten, eleven are three difficult chapters to understand, put into context. You know, over the period of, of, of Christian history, it has caused a lot of discussion, a lot of controversy. Churches, denominations have split over some of the content in these three chapters. For example, we, we've got the Calvinists and, and the Lutheran and the Armenian all came about over the controversy and the disagreement and the misunderstanding, perhaps, of what's in these three chapters. Have I got your interest? Because in these three chapters, we're going to come across uh, some, some subjects and doctrines like predestination. That's a, that's a big, long, long word, isn't it? And election. That's a controversial subject. So as we look at this, I'd like to take the advice of Tim Keller, who is a contemporary Bible teacher and and theologian and and pastor. He he, he comes from the the Presbyterian flavour of Christianity. That's how I like to describe all the denominations in Christianity, the flavour. And this is what he says, the direct quote. We must make, and he's talking about this particular section of, of Romans. We must make every effort to discern the carefully nuanced balances of the gospel of free election and justification. We must remember the prejudices we bring with us to the scriptures and we must be willing to learn to balance out our own views. I like that. That's how we're going to tackle these three chapters here at Montmorency. We're going to try and just see what the scripture says, not bring any prejudices, just see if we can allow the Spirit to show us what God, through the Apostle Paul, intended in these three chapters. Now, there's three things, there's three things that uh, are certain about the, the, this chapter and, and the three chapters, uh, 9, 10 and 11. One, difficult to handle, always have been, always will be, and we will struggle in different parts ourselves. Otherwise, we would be super smart. 
and we're not. Well, I'm not anyway. So it's always been a difficult section, always has been, always will be. The second one is that we must be very clear in our mind, folks, that it deals with the, with, with, with Israel, the nation of Israel, past, present and future. So when we, when you read these three chapters, it would be very clear. It's Israel that Paul is referring to. That's, that's what, we, what we got at the very start where Paul is saying he has great sorrow and anguish uh, in my heart about his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. But just because it's about Israel doesn't mean that you and I can't learn anything from it, does it? Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? In verses 1 to 13, there's, a, there's a quite a bit of a narrative there about Israel and its history and all the things that happened to them. And I'd like to read you just one little verse. Please go and have a look at that uh, later on this afternoon. But in chapter t- uh, 10 of, of uh, Corinthians it says, Now these things occurred and, for us, recorded as examples to us, to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So the nation of Israel, all the, the recorded history that we have, and all the things that God has set down in Scripture for us to read and say, oh, look, they should have known better. How pathetic are they? They're there as an example for us to learn from. Not just to point the finger and criticise and sneer, but that's why... It's been put in there. And twice it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians that that's the case. So there will be warnings of disobedience, rejection of God's salvation, the restoration of Israel in the future. All of that will be in these three chapters. But we're going to learn some things from it. And the, and the thing that we're going to learn, which is the third thing that, that's definite about these three chapters, is you learn a lot about God's character. Seriously. It's going to make you think seriously about God's character and how that character relates to you and me here at Montmorency. We're going to look at God's sovereignty in a few minutes. There will be God's holiness to to consider. We're going to marvel at God's mercy. You know, remember mercy? Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. God's mercy and of course God's grace and God's faithfulness and Paul will explain those things in these three chapters and he'll give examples and he'll illustrate these things and that will give us great hope and encouragement. I know that's the case. So what about Israel? What about the Jews? That's an interesting question. Do you remember last week? Now, Graham can tremendous sermon last week, wasn't it? It was really good. hope you enjoyed it. I wasn't here. I was preaching elsewhere, but I listened to it yesterday. Fantastic. And he talked about, he talked about how God had given us promises to, to those who believe and what a privilege it was and what a blessing it is if you take on those promises and if you live them out. But they were mainly for the Jew, uh, for the Gentiles, weren't they? Especially for them. So at the end of chapter 8, verse 39, and and, um, chapter 9 and verse 1, I know we've got God's sovereign choice written there as a heading for the NIV, but they could have put 
what about the Jews? I think we've shared this already, but that was the question that was always asked of Paul. When Paul went around teaching and preaching about salvation, sharing the gospel, telling people how, how whoever believes will be saved by God and will be blessed by God. Every time he went and spoke, who was there? The Jews. And if they weren't there, they came from the previous town. They even followed him to places. And the question always was, what about us? What about the Jews? And so in verses 1 to 5, Paul illustrates Israel's privileged position. What about the Jews? It says there that that, uh, they were so privileged that they were adopted adopted by God as sons. That's, that's very important. They weren't naturally born, but they were adopted into the family. They were, they were embraced into the family of God, by God himself, chosen to be their sons and daughters. Very special. Didn't happen to anybody else. It said that they, theirs was the divine glory. What, did that, what does that mean? They were the only nation, the only people group who had the, who enjoyed the presence of God. Can you believe that? The Shekinah glory in the, in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, and in the temple for a period of time. The only nation who experienced that's something that you and I take for granted, isn't it? Today. Theirs was the covenants. What's a covenant? It's an, a divine arrangement or contract between God and, 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 in this case, the nation of Israel. Divine contract, divinely initiated by God himself. That nobody went up to God and said, I'd like, to, I'd like to make an agreement. He made all these agreements, these promises, covenants, contracts with this nation. Theirs was the law, the moral law that we still hold to today. It's still wrong, isn't it, to kill? Absolutely. Yes? We're sure about that? It's still wrong to lie. It's still wrong to steal other people's things. It's not a good thing to covet, is it? Or to commit adultery. And who was that law given to? Well, God chose, didn't he? He chose the nation of Israel to be the keepers and to make this this law known. Very privileged position, very special. They had the temple worship. You know, whenever they, they, they transgressed against God, they were able to bring sacrifices to the temple and be cleansed of, of, of that transgression. And so they could stay and continue in fellowship with God. And they were able to approach God. They were the, the, the people that could get as close as humanly possible to, 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 the, all, to the almighty God. They were the only ones. 
Then there was the promises. We read that too, didn't we? They're, they're, they're different from the covenant. These were the promises, the things that God would do for them if they obeyed, if, 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 if they followed after God's will. All the, all the promises that you read in the first five books of the Bible. And then the patriarchs. They loved, they loved the patriarchs, the Jews. They really did. Before Israel became a nation, God had, had dealings with the patriarchs of Israel. The God of Abraham. That's the association, wasn't it? Between God and who? Abraham. Who was Abraham? The father of Israel, of the Jews. And not just Abraham, but also Isaac. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Can you see the association? How, how proud were they? And it says there that through the patriarchs you can trace the human lineage of the Messiah, the Son of God. What about the Jews? Hmm? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 3 and 1? He says, he said, what advantage, what advantage then is there being a Jew? And what, and what was Paul's response? Great. It's a great advantage. So what happened? So what happened? Why does Paul open chapter 9 with this this thing? I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms in the Holy Ghost. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish about the plight of my fellow countrymen, the Jews. And he was so concerned that he was willing to forego his own salvation, his own relationship with Christ, in order that they may get right with God. What happened? What's gone wrong? Did God make a mistake here? He made promises to Israel. Why are they now rejected? Why has now God set them aside? Why is now God dealing with the, Jew, with the Gentiles? and not just the Jews. Why is that? Now, when you ask that question, a lot of people say, because God is sovereign, he can do whatever he likes. And that's true. He is sovereign. Do you know what sovereign is? Because we say things, and and, and things just come off the tongue, roll off the tongue. But what does it mean? A monarch, a king, a queen, or other supreme ruler. Supreme means there is no one higher of greater authority. The second meaning is a person who is who, who has supreme power or authority, and then you keep going, and it talks about things like, as we would know, kings, emperors, chairman, like Chairman Mao, um, I have to remember to put bigger writing. Dictators and Khans. We just finished watching about uh, uh, Kublai Khan, a series on Kublai Khan, who the descendant of Genghis Khan, you know. And that's our perception. That's our idea of a monarch. We think of a king, perhaps, or a queen, Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth. You know, it 
just because someone is sovereign doesn't mean it's a good thing. Character plays an important and vital role in defining sovereignty. Because when I look at some of those kings and queens and dictators and monarchs and emperors and khans, it wasn't always good. So what does it mean when we say God is sovereign? This is what it means. Mark this. God's character means as he is God, he will never, never do anything wrong. He will never do anything unjust. He will never do anything unrighteous. Do you have any idea what that looks like? Do you? Can you point to anyone in history that you could say, oh, that's what it looks like? We have no concept of what that looks like. We don't. Sure, there have been good kings and good queens and some good emperors. I don't think there's been a good dictator. But no one, no one, no sovereign can be put in the same classification as God. And to say God is sovereign simply means to allow God to be God in that context that I've just described. That's really important. So God being all-powerful and supreme chooses how he does things and how things are to be done. Not capriciously, which means uh, having an odd notion. Not unpredictably, like most monarchs are. Not erratic, not on a sudden whim. And Paul illustrates this in verses 6 to 9, that, that God has an agenda and he pursues his agenda. And he has a plan. His plan, and he works to execute that plan because he is sovereign. And Paul illustrates here in Romans that it that it's not genetic. It doesn't matter who your father is, because Abraham had two sons. Well, he had more, but two sons in particular. His first son wasn't Isaac, was it? But it was still Abraham who was the father. But the plan was, God's plan was, that the offspring of Abraham and Sarah was going to be part of the plan. That was the plan. So it didn't matter that Ishmael was born first, did it? And it doesn't matter either. God's plan isn't bound by merit. And, and, and things of, of tradition, for example, birth order even. The two twins, oh, they're born at the same time. From, from the right parents. Uh, Jacob, uh, sorry, no, um, Isaac, thank you, Isaac, mental, mental thing. Isaac and, and Rebecca. And, and, uh, no, Rachel wasn't it? Rachel wasn't it? Yeah, anyway, whoever they were. <laughs> they, oh, I've lost it here, and, and so they had the right parents, and so they were, and then to were twins, 
and, and the firstborn twin, Esau, just by a few minutes, should have been, by tradition, the heir. He had the birthright. Yeah? But that wasn't part of God's plan, was it? Because it's not bound on birthright either. And so it, 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 Paul points out that even though they were twins from the right parents, God still had a, a plan and he executed that plan. The promise was always according to God's will. So we come now to this next Next word that comes up in this passage, election. What does it mean? Here's the the English Bible uh, dictionary definition. The act of electing, and you look it up and it goes to elect. And so the word elect means to choose or select by vote. That's what we're most familiar with. You know, we, we, in a democratic society, we, we have a lot of those things, elections, don't we? We vote for the government and all the rest of it. We don't always get it right, but we, we do exercise that right to vote. And then it means to determine in favour of. It also means to pick out, to choose, and then to choose or select someone or something. And that's what we're familiar with. That's what election means. So all good theologians and commentators would also say, well, the Greek. Let's have a look what the Greek says. So the Greek. The Greek says, to choose, to select, choose for oneself. And then, when you look it up, it it tells you this thing. It says that the actual word also means it involves preference and choice from among many without excluding the other. So sometimes people misunderstand what it means by election. That's That's the definitions. That's what they are. It doesn't mean that God condemns people to hell. It doesn't mean that God doesn't allow uh, others to, to be saved. It doesn't mean that the gospel is, is exclusive or, or only for a certain number or a certain type of person. When, when people talk to me about election and predestination, it's always an interesting discussion, but... I like I like to take the discussion. This is a bit awkward, isn't it? I like to take the discussion to this question. I'm going to ask you this question this morning. I'd like you to try and answer it for yourself in your head. Here it is. Here's the question: On what basis? On what basis does God choose? On what basis does because all choice when you elect something? Or somebody. All choice is based on something, isn't it? What is the criteria for God to choose? Because God does choose. There's no question. Please don't get me wrong. I believe that God chooses. He selects. He favours. It's in the Bible. It's full of it. He let, he does elect. 
on the basis of what criteria? And this is where it gets really interesting, folks. Because some people say, oh, it's willy-nilly. That's an actual word, you know. I looked it up. Willy-nilly. It is. You know what it, you know what it means, willy-nilly? It means disorganised un- or an unplanned manner. It's interesting that, that some, some people say that. The next, the next thing they'll say, oh, it's random, randomly. Now, random means without defined aim, oddly, unpredictably. Do any of these things sound like the God that you know? No, not me. And then, and then others will say, thank you, there is, but just can't get it out of the thing. Thank you very much. Um, and then others will say, arbitrary. That means at his discretion, unsupported. Like God will say, there's Jim, oh, I'll, I'll save him. Without giving a reason, without, without any support. Why, why Jim? And, why, and I'm not going to pick on you. Why not Josh? You know? This is, this is a, these are the, some of the things that come up when you discuss election, even in commentaries. You know, we really have complicated what God means by election. We really have. As a, as, a, as, a, as a Christian faith, we've really done that. And, and just like everything else that man tries to explain, the things that God has simply put to us, we complicate them. For example, just recently, a recent example, gender. Gender. God says, male, female. You look around in this room, in creation, everywhere, and it's male and fa- it's as plain as the moustache on my face. There are only two genders. Oh, no. No, no, no. no. We, we've decided that there has to be more. I'm not going to get into the political correct arguments about all this, but that's what I mean. That's a classic example of how we complicate things. And look where it's got us in the, in the gender discussion. hasn't been going on for long, but look look at the mess we're in already. Election's another one of those. It really is. I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Please indulge me in this. Here is the criteria, folks. It's not what I think. It's what the Bible says. This is God's criteria. Verses 19 to 20 talks about, I'm going to read them to you just to remind you, it talks about since uh, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That doesn't, does that sound like God to you that does things willy-nilly or randomly or without, without basis? That's not the God of the Bible. It really isn't. It's not the God I believe in. You look out there and everything has a purpose. Everything is, is interdependent. Everything is organised. The scientists, even today, struggle with the fact that 
if, if we believe in, in Big Bang and just things just randomly, that's the word they use, randomly happen, how come everything's so complex and so organised? That's the God we have. But that's not the criteria. just wanted to throw that in for you. The criteria is in verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's good news. It's good news. And, and any good news, like I've been trying to share about the good news about the, these people getting baptised with all my friends and family members, it's hard. It's hard not to be excited about good news, isn't it? And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's good news. Because, because it is the power of God for salvation. Now you look out there and you look at creation and honestly, not only is it intelligent, the power that must have been used to bring it about have you tried to create anything? Look at, look, look at the power that was involved in, in setting the planet Earth in, the, in, in its orbit around the sun, tilted at just the right degrees to give seasons to support life that God was going to create soon. That's not just intelligence. That is power. And this is a, Paul's trying to give us a clue that's perhaps even greater than that power. The power of God for salvation. Do you know why he says it like that? Because nothing else other than God's power and God's working and the plan he had set in motion was going to bring about the salvation of mankind. Nothing else. We still, as mankind, still haven't got that. We still haven't got that. But that's why Paul's not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone. Everyone. What does everyone mean? A group of people called the Jews? A group of people called the Gentiles? Everyone means everybody. Everyone. No exclusion. So, the criteria for God choosing everyone who believes, everyone who believes, that's the criteria. Always has been. Abraham. He believed that. That's how it all started. Believing. And if you're in any doubt, the verse goes on and says, first for the Jews, then to the Gentiles. That's the plan, folks. That's the God, that's God's plan. Always has been. Always will be. And, and, and in case you're, you're not convinced, verse 17, which I haven't got it up there, but it says, a righteousness that is by faith. And faith means belief that is not supported, not based on proof. Belief in God, belief in his doctrines, belief in his will.
But back to chapter 9. What happened? What about the Jews? What's gone wrong? Israel. Israel's underleaf. They didn't believe God anymore. Not that he didn't exist. No, no, they didn't. They didn't believe that. It's not that. That wasn't the problem. You see, Israel believed the wrong things. They believed that they were special. They believed they were privileged. They believed that they were marked by God for something great. They believed that. But they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in his sovereign ways, in his sovereign thoughts. They didn't follow his plan for them. Do you know God has a plan for you if you're a believer, if you're a disciple? These people have just discovered it. God's got a plan for them and a plan for for you and a plan for me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? They didn't believe it. They wanted to do their own thing. They believed in hard work. They believed that if they kept the laws and all the regulations, and then you know what, we'll add a few more just to be on the safe side and we'll keep those as well. They failed to realise how futile that was because someone else has already done all the hard work on their behalf. In the past it was God. Now it's Jesus Christ has done the work. The Bible says that. There's no more work to be done as far as salvation goes. And they believed in legalism. They believed in, you know, the law that they had. Yes, it was God given. But you know what happened to it? It became an idol to them. They worshipped the law, not the lawgiver. That's the problem. That's where we are. We worship creation, we hug trees. And we disregard the creator of the trees. That's where we're at. We haven't come very far, have we, from the Jews. We're just like them. That's why Paul says, have a look at their history and don't you make the same mistakes because we're just like them. God set aside Israel because they would not believe God. They wouldn't believe what he said. You know, when you read God's word, folks, do you believe what God says? Or do you think, oh, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Because that's what they did. And they didn't believe what God required. Now, these folks here that, that were baptised this morning, I'm, I'm not picking on them because they're my family. They're just an example of obedience. God says, believe and be baptised. Have you done that? Have you, do you, have you believed in God and believed that, 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 that he requires things from you? Have you actioned that? Because Israel didn't do that. They didn't believe that. They disregarded that. They didn't acknowledge God as sovereign in their lives. If you believe God is sovereign, if you truly believe that, he is supreme, 
He has the authority to ask you to do, really actually he has the, the authority to tell you, but he asks you to do things. And when you don't do it, a normal sovereign, an earthly sovereign, chop head off, you know, hang from gallows, drawn and caught, whatever they used to do. That's what has to happen. God just sets them aside here. Have you been set aside by God? Do you feel that maybe God isn't speaking to you lately? You're not feeling God's presence in your life? His influence in your life? Hmm. Bailey, Trent and Kim, they believed God. That's easy to say. But this is what they believed. They believed that they were sinners before him. We struggle with that as, as humans. We struggle to admit and believe that before God we're sinners because we think we're, we're okay. They believed that they needed forgiveness because God said you need to be forgiven. They believed that. They believed that that, that forgiveness was available to them through Jesus Christ because that's the plan. That's the plan that God says, forgiveness through my son, Jesus Christ. And they believed that. What about you? Do you believe that? Or do you think that you can do something, you know, clean up your act a little bit and and I'll be okay before God? Because that's not the plan. You will not be selected by God to become a child of God, if that's what you're thinking. Because you don't fit the criteria. You really don't. And they believe that if they accepted God's offer of salvation, he would would forgive them and cleanse them of their sins. They believe that. And you know what's happened this morning? God has adopted them as children of God, as his children. Isn't that great? Because adoption is just that, a selection. You choose who you let into your family. God has chosen these people, not because they're special. Well, they're not even good looking, are they? No, you know, there's nothing different about them than you. He's chosen them because they believed in God. And acted on that. What about you this morning? What about you? Do you believe? Thanks, Mums.